Welcome, or welcome back, wherever in space-time you may be. This is Stranger Than. Oh, is this where I say my name? Yes. <laughs> I'm Joanna. I'm Nate. Here we are again, delving into the unsolved, the mysterious, the misunderstood, and the creepy. Wow, you're like the greatest showman with your fucking intro right now. I know. <laughs> I've been listening. Way, way to be fucking extra about it. I've been listening to some of the old ones, and so I'm like, oh man, we changed the opening quite a bit, and then it's been a long, long stretch. So I decided to, you know, just like add like 500 words to it. Or yeah, basically. Yeah, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. More or less. Well, today is sort of a a different episode than usual. We have this was a, like kind of an accidental episode, actually. Yeah, we we were both doing. What we thought were was the same listener suggestion, mm-hmm. and in fact, it was two different ones, right? Which is fine. Which we only found out about kind of at the last minute, but yeah, no, it's fine. So we just kind of have a little little interesting lineup for you. Today. Yes, normally we kind of stick to the same subject, but this time there will be two entirely different subjects. One is a UFO incident, and the other is an incident where a lady likes to cook people. And uh, who requested the UFO incident? We have James, suggested by email. So thank you, James. Yeah, and then uh, Nicole suggested the episode on Catherine Knight. And thank you, Nicole, for the suggestion. And then if we have time, I've got another UFO story just for fun. Okay. Let's start with the Val Johnson UFO incident. All right, I'm dying to know all about it since I did no research on it myself. <laughs> well, there you go. It was around 1.40 a.m. on August 27, 1979, near the city of Warren in Marshall County, Minnesota. Minnesota, eh? Yep. Mm. It's pretty deep. Not a lot around. Deputy Val Johnson was on patrol on State Highway 220 when he saw a bright light out of his side window. It would not have been unheard of for it to belong to a plane flying low over the border from Canada Maybe transporting drugs, maybe crashed, maybe taking off, maybe just landed, who knows? It could have also just been, you know, a truck or something. This reminds me of A Simple Plan. Remember that movie? I do not. Oh, it's a Bill Paxton one. It was great. I, yeah. It's about I, a plane that goes down and they find it, you know, and they're like way out, like in Minnesota or North Dakota or one of those, one of those states. Lots of snow, not a lot around. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was like a plane full of like drug money. Oh. Yeah. No, I, I have not seen that one. Yeah. Oh, it's a good one. You should watch it. You should Fine watch it. 90s. I miss Bill Paxton. I'm so sad that he's dead. Well, that's a, that is a shame. He was a cool guy. At least we still have Bowie. <laughs> right. Oh, that is a shame too. Uh, regardless... He turned his car down the road leading towards the source of the light to investigate, when suddenly it either shot towards and was right on top of him, or it stopped and he was right on top of it. Whatever the case, he had been following this orb going at least 55 miles per hour, 89 kilometers per hour, and the last thing he heard before losing consciousness was the sound of glass breaking. So this thing kind of like attacked him in his car? Either it like rushed him, or it just stopped and he slammed into it. Okay. So he, he's not sure which. It happened very fast regardless. Mm-hmm. 
And so if, you know, you're going almost 60 miles an hour and something stops pretty quickly. Right. He had reported that the light was no more than a foot in diameter and around four feet off the ground, about 1.2 meters off the ground. And it was incredibly bright. He also said the edges were very defined. So he could see the outline of the source of the light, which was just a circular kind of shape. When Deputy Johnson came to, he estimated it had been 39 minutes since he was last aware. 39? 39. That's pretty a precise estimate. He was a pretty precise guy. He is a pretty precise guy. He's still alive. His car was trashed, but it was trashed in a really weird way. The windshield was cracked, but not normally. In most cases, it can be pretty easily discerned when something is broken from the inside or outside, regardless of what it is. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can tell just how it's broken, how the, how the cracks occur. In this case, it appeared that it had been cracked by equal force on the inside and outside in a non-producible pattern. Investigators also concluded that there were three to four separate areas of impact that all landed within milliseconds of one another. We'll talk about so the theories like, later. So it was like a bunch of smaller things hit his windshield at the same time? There were three or four points of impact, but it appeared that they had been on the inside and outside at the same time in the same points. Weird. Very weird. Not, not normal. Yeah. The damage was in a position that his head would not have been a part in, so it was between like the, the the steering wheel and the windshield closer to the hood so it's not you can't get your head there so it's not like his head didn't like go into the windshield is what they're trying to say exactly which okay. wouldn't i mean that would have been fairly obvious and right. it wouldn't have been a, a case of there being impact on both sides anyway plus probably he was wearing a seatbelt usually you don't put your head for the windshield if you got your seatbelt on no yeah Although it was 1979, who knows? Oh, yeah, okay. I forgot Maybe he about wasn't that. wearing a seatbelt. That, that could be possible. Yeah. <laughs> Although I would imagine the cops probably usually wore their, their seatbelts. I would imagine, but probably as far as it being a requirement like it is Oh, it was today, not a requirement. Yeah, that, so it's possible that... Yeah, there was no click it or ticket. Yeah, definitely not. When he came to, he pulled his head off the steering wheel to notice that the car was on its side. In the opposite lane he'd been traveling in and halfway off the road. His eyes hurt and his head hurt, and fortunately his radio still worked. He called the station to get some help, and though he couldn't tell them exactly what happened, uh, only that they'd been hit, they, they sent someone out. The driver's side, for our UK listeners, that's actually the left side, we are in America, mm-hmm. uh, of the hood had a half-inch <laughs> diameter circular dent, and the driver's side headlight and one of the top red lights were broken. When I saw a picture of the car, it was like old-time police car, so there was the rotating, like, strobe in the center of the okay. top of the— as opposed of, to, like, the whole row. Exactly. Okay. And then on either side, there was one red light, and then there was a red light on, like, the forward back side as well, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Okay. So there was two forward-facing red lights, two rear-facing red lights, and two side-facing red lights. Okay. Well, the side-facing red light on the driver's side was broken as well. All the other lights were just fine, besides the driver's side headlight. Okay. Passenger side lights, as well as all the other lights, were fine. Strobe was fine. Everything else was fine. Both the antennas on the car were bent. The front one at a 60-degree angle, where the bent starts about 6 inches or 10 centimeters from where it's connected to the car. Clean bend. Fairly strange. Experts said that this could be done by a highly imposed blast of air. Not only am I unaware of what exactly this is, but... They aren't sure what could have caused that. Hmm. 
There were also bug carcasses still attached to the antenna, which to me rules out any sort of extreme air blast, but also rules out someone grabbing it with your hands and bending it because you would have upset the carcasses. So they were pretty consistently dispersed over the entire antenna? Yes. Okay. I didn't know bugs attached to antenna like that. Oh, have you ever looked at the grill of your car after you've been on a fucking road trip? It's disgusting. Well, the grill, yeah, but antenna, I didn't realize. Well, it's flying up in the air along. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, but I just hadn't really thought of it. Yeah. I mean, have you noticed that on your road trips and antenna? I mean, I I guess we don't really have antennas on cars much anymore. I know. Like, I don't even know if my car has one or not. I mean, mine kind of does, but it's like that little. It's like a little black thing now. It's like shorter. It's not like a big metal and especially antenna. on a cop car because it's probably for their CB radios and shit, so it's probably significantly wider too, as well. And as I have longer. trouble imagining what kind of like forced air causes an antenna to bend. Very extreme. I don't know. I'm and pretty I, sure as a kid, I probably tried to like bend the antenna of my parents' car. Yeah, at some but with point, your it's hands, like super. Yeah, you weren't power souping up the the hair dryer and trying. <laughs> but no, I'm like, just saying, even with your hands, it was like kind of really hard. It like impossible. I don't think I managed to do it. It was more. It's not. It's not easy. Yeah. It's definitely not easy. I'm sure they kind of make them not bendable to a degree. Yeah, or, you know, difficult to bend. Before Deputy Johnson had gone on patrol that night, the clock in the cop car and his wristwatch had all been synced with the clock at the police station. He was known to do this. He was like a weirdo like that. Like, definitely had to have his watch synced up at all times. Yep, just, I I mean, I guess it, it makes sense because, again, it's 1979, so you are just using a wristwatch. You're not connected to a satellite or a cell tower like we are now. So nope, don't if you want to like, be displayed on your car radio, it's not on your cell phone. It's, yeah. yeah. Well, it is displayed on the car radio at some, I believe. In the cow car? Yeah. In 1979? I don't remember having like digital. On your radio dial, I believe there was. I don't know. That seems a little more modern than the 70s. No, I, I feel think... like you just had a radio. You had like a one that you can, you, you turned the dial manually. You could be right. I don't know. Yeah, that's what you had. I but mean, maybe, pro- but maybe they you probably had some had sort of readouts. clock that you set. I mean, like they a had watch. VCRs in the late 70s. And right. VCRs had digital readouts. So, regardless, there was a clock in his car, whatever type of clock it was. That's really inconsequential what kind of clock it was. Mm-hmm. There was one in his car. And so he would sync his wristwatch to the station clock and then sync his car to his wristwatch. So, so everything was probably, all the same. Probably, yeah, it was some manual one. I don't think it was like a digital. I don't know. It absolutely has nothing to do with the story. <laughs> Somehow, both the car clock and his wristwatch were 14 minutes off of station time. So they both had stopped for the same amount of time. After he reported the accident on the radio, the cops had sent ambulances as well as other cops to help out. Johnson was taken to a hospital in Warren, Minnesota, treated and released. They said he had burns on his eyes similar to those of welders who stare at the welding sparks. This is called a flash burn and is basically a sunburn on the eye. This is caused by exposure to bright UV light and will normally heal without scarring. Other sources of UV light that can cause this to happen include the sun, sun lamps on tanning beds, and sun reflecting off of snow or water. Symptoms normally are watering eyes and blurred vision, along with a bit of pain and general irritation. So it's not a common thing to happen to an individual at night. Right. Since three out of the four common sources are pretty exclusive to daytime. Mm-hmm. As they're all, well, no, I guess the t- the tanning bed you could do it. You anytime. can tan anytime. But you can't tan while you're driving down the street. Right. In the middle of nowhere, Minnesota. You're not going to get the snow reflection 
no without the sun you need the sun for that yeah and then you also need the sun to burn your eyes in the first place like yeah and he probably wasn't welding while he was driving no so that's a strange thing and that's that's the doctors that's that's in medical reports there they did say he was temporarily blinded but I'm not sure if he was like completely blind or if everything was just super blurry. I'm imagining everything was probably just super blurry. Probably blurriness, and then also you're probably seeing like a spots. lot of spots. Yeah, spots like flat, like floaters, and like you know everything's probably like green or yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he also had a dental bridge that had been broken at the gum line. This doesn't seem very odd to me. He woke up with his head on the steering wheel, so yeah. I'm sure that's a pretty common reason for dental bridges to break. I couldn't, I, I mean, I Googled and I tried to find out if that was the case, but I did not, I wasn't able to find the information if that was a common occurrence or not. After release, he was questioned by Sheriff Dennis Brecky. This is when they noticed the wristwatch being off, and that's what caused them to check the patrol car, and they found that the time was off there too. Uh, no, I, I say questioned, but it said so that sounds sort of, accusatory it was more like his statement was taken mm -hmm. the cops just didn't know what was going on they believed this in this guy he didn't think it was a liar you know he was he'd been on the force for a while he had a great record so they didn't think he was lying to him but they just didn't know what the hell was going on the sheriff came up with an answer which was to call the center for ufo studies in illinois abbreviated cufos or sufos the center for ufo studies was founded in 1973 by j allen hynek and is now a privately funded research group originally located in Evanston, Illinois. It's in Chicago now. J. Allen Hynek worked for the U.S. Air Force and their project Blue Book from 1948 to 1969. He started out thinking it was all bullshit and he was pretty much just a paid debunker. Mm -hmm. But the more he saw, the more he started to believe. And I was born in Evanston. Were you really? Yeah, I wow. lived in Evanston until I was like four. Holy shit. Yeah, before coming to the great state of Washington. Well, you were there at the same time as the Center for UFO Studies. That's interesting. It is interesting. The more he saw, the more he actually began to believe some of these reports were true. He concluded that some reports of UFOs are mundane things like planets, swamp gas, blatant lies, but some are the real deal. He died in 1986, and the Center for UFO Studies was renamed the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies. They sent investigator and astronomer Alan Hendry to check shit out down here in uh, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. It was his investigation and collaboration with experts that led to many of the findings of this incident that we discussed before, like the windshield and the antenna stuff and all that kind of fun stuff. So none of that was information the cops came up with. That was all information that Hendry, collaborating with experts in different fields, was able to come up with. Okay. Alan Hendry was the head investigator for the Center of UFO Studies and an astronomer. In addition to his scientific qualifications, he was chosen for this position because he was neither a believer nor a debunker. He's been praised by both believers and skeptics for his scientific way of looking at things, as well as condemned by both camps. You know, oh, being, yeah? You know, well, you know, I know, funny. Praised but condemned. Being skeptical is okay. Without a bit of skepticism, people will just believe any damn thing told to them. Being a skeptic and being a believer in whatever, not just UFOs, are not mutually exclusive concepts. You can totally reasonably believe in Bigfoot and not believe that this footprint someone brings to you is real. 
Right. Those are two things that go just fine together. Or you can believe in Bigfoot, but not UFOs. Exactly. And you can believe in UFOs and believe that there was no crash near Roswell. Mm-hmm. All of these things are fine. There's not just two camps. It's not just believer and skeptic. Yeah. Everyone should have a bit of skepticism. Otherwise, you're just you're, everyone's going to pull the wool over your eyes every time. Oh, right. For sure. Well, what actually happened? Ball lightning was a pretty popular theory, but it's clear night. Normally, ball lightning happens when there's a storm going on. So there is an actual thing that is a ball of lightning. Yeah, there's a thing called ball lightning. Ball lightning. Yeah. I've never heard of that. Really? Mm-mm. It's, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's lightning in ball form. Wow. Yeah, it's, it happens here and there with somewhat of a regularity. It's fairly destructive. It wouldn't be a, a good thing to run into. I don't know exactly what the like meteorological conditions are that make it Mm -hmm. but it's not a clear night that i know that's pretty that's pretty crazy yeah so it's just like lightning in a ball that like hits you or whatever hits things yeah 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 Yeah, no i I yeah that's that's an actual thing yeah Mm. fucking weather man (laughs) it's not (laughs) it's some crazy shit weather does do some crazy shit i guess yeah yeah there was a nearby air force base so it's possible something re- related to that had fallen out of the sky. There would have been more wreckage than just the car, and the car was the only wreckage there. Another theory was that something was flying very fast and passed over the car. The altitude of the craft being low enough to pick up debris, maybe some rocks that were kicked up and slammed into the windshield of the car and maybe flipped the car over on its side. And then like, maybe it also went fast enough that the antenna's bent from the wind speed, but that seems like a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> Because that wouldn't explain why there were still the bugs on the antennas, how there was impact on the inside and outside of the car windshield at the same time. Plus something, I don't know, it seems like it would have to be flying really low and other than taking off, that's not something that like planes can do. A jet goes right around like 180 to 200 miles per hour to take off. Right. A Cessna takes off at right around, I believe, uh. 50 to 60 miles an hour. So, mm-hmm. I mean, neither of those are going to be fast enough that it's going to bend an antenna. I mean, you can... Well, I mean, maybe if it bent because of heat, but then there wouldn't be the bug stuff left. Exactly. And then there like, would I mean, been... you think about a jet, that's got some, like, serious, like, flameage coming out Oh, yeah, yeah. So... And also there would be burned parts of the car. Right. Totally rule that out because the environment was not right at all for exactly. that to be happening. Exactly. One thing was for certain, Center for UFO Studies did not think this incident was a hoax. Of course, some did. A book released in 1983 called UFOs, The Public Deceived by Philip Klass says that Johnson perpetrated the hoax to get attention and resources to the area where he believed drugs were being smuggled in by small plane, which it's reasonable that that is something that was occurring. Well, anywhere that's going to be you know, border another country, you're going to see that happening. Exactly. And what class is saying is that Johnson was just kind of an overzealous cop that was trying to do anything to get some funds to start investigating this particular area. And so to do that, he Made somehow crashed this okay. cop car and, and, you know, this whole deal. You know, I mean, I can see being really dedicated to your job. But that just is... Yeah, you know, that's 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 pretty far to go. 
if just I were to, to like get some stuff investigated. I mean, to to put yourself in a car accident to force your car to crash. I feel like it would be easier to find a car, steal it, plant cocaine in it, uh-huh. park the car someplace in the area, and be like, "Hey guys, look what I found!" Right, and then there's a reason to be out there. Not say. You guys, it's possibly a UFO. That seems like a really weird way to get people to check that out. Yeah, and to to, cra- to purposely crash your car. I mean, you don't know the outcome of that. Somehow burn your eyes. Yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah, yeah I'm not feeling that theory a whole lot. No, not so much. Class and Hendry had actually been involved in a debate at a symposium in 1980 at the Smithsonian Institute, <gasps> right? No. The plot it was, thickens. Right? And it was just, it was just, I mean, that was just a thing. So it was kind of funny how these two guys are, you know, involved in this. This was in 1980 before the guy's book came out and just shortly after the incident. So, yeah, they knew each other. Yeah. Through the Smithsonian. It's also been speculated that perhaps he accidentally damaged his cop car. Could have been maybe some super bad, like, hijinks, picking up McLovin, crashing the car, hobos, booze. Who knows? And so he made up this cover story to, you know, kind of, I don't know what excuse happened to my the fact cop that, car. Yeah, excuse the fact that he, um, you know, just totally, like, fucked his car up through yeah. a series of, like, hijinks in the night. Okay. However, by all accounts, he was a pretty trustworthy guy. Great record. Well, yeah, synchronizes fucking watch to the goddamn station time, so... Somebody who does that isn't going to be going around, you know, running amok, having like a hangover type situation right. going on, and then just going to make up some UFO story to account for the damage done to his car. No, a weird thing is, is that he did refuse to take a lie detector test, and I do not know why. Maybe because he has inside information that those things are very unreliable. That could be the case. Maybe he just didn't feel he needed to. It wasn't really pushed because all of his colleagues believed him i mean they completely trusted this guy mm-hmm. he wasn't the type they didn't think he spends probably most of his time with these guys i don't know if he has a family or not but he did appear on good morning america on september 11th 1979 he did a few other interviews but pretty quickly got sick of the attention and distanced himself from the press so probably didn't make a whole lot of money from it mm-hmm. clearly didn't want any sort of recognition he moved away from the area sometime later didn't hide, just moved off. Uh, then there's been a couple recent documentaries about this particular incident, but he mm-hmm. has not been in either of them. The car that was involved in the incident was not repaired and actually sits at the Marshall County Museum, where it's labeled UFO car. UFO car, and, I like it. Yeah, isn't that cool? And then every year at the Marshall County Fair, it, it makes its appearance. Oh, all right. So he doesn't remember anything other than like the the ball of light exactly and then just waking up he doesn't have any like memories of being like no nope. abducted or anything like no that. no memories of abductions no memories of any beings all he knows is he saw a light he was driving towards it suddenly he hit it or it hit him and then he woke up and his car was sideways shit was all fucked up he went to the hospital and carried on with his life crazy yeah so who knows he doesn't even know mm-hmm I mean, I'm te- I'm tending to believe the story just because nothing's ever changed about no, it. Nothing's and ever changed. All it, the there's a lot of there's a lot that it lacks explanation, but there the physical evidence is there. Still there too. Mm-hmm. On all the sources I found, there's very little varying information. The most information that was varied was that 
some of them said that the windshield was hit three times and others said four. Mm. And a lot of the things we researched, there's wildly different accounts of things that have happened. Yeah. And that's not the case in this one. And I checked several different sources and, and some newspaper articles online and stuff like that. So I I tend to believe the story pretty that, that I presented pretty uh pretty well. Yeah, well and I mean the guy doesn't even act like he knows for sure what it is either he he doesn't know so he's not trying to make a claim and and put it in this one category like absolutely this had to be not of this earth and he's not like on the ufo circuit you know he's Mm -hmm. not doing conventions and shit like that and he's not you know he doesn't go out and ride in the car every year you know it's it's nothing like that he doesn't even live i don't even think he lives in minnesota anymore because i don't know that it wasn't something found in nature or man-made but if it was either of those two things, it's definitely nothing anyone's ever seen before. At least not a thing that the common person knows about. Right. Yeah, weirdo story. strange one. Totally weird story. <laughs> so thanks, James. Yeah. Well, next we'll talk about Catherine Knight. Catherine Knight. Yeah. Cannibal Catherine. That is a snappy name. <laughs> she sounds like a nice lady. Especially if you try and like do it in like an Australian accent, which I, I can't she- really do. Like... Cannibal Catherine. Is she Australian? <laughs> she is Australian, yes. She was uh, born in Aberdeen, New South Wales, Australia, on October 24th, 1955. She was one of six children. She had a twin sister and four brothers. Did it say if it was identical twin or? It does not. Yeah. I, I'm I sure was if it was identical, they probably would have really made a point to find that information say it. out. Yeah. I do know it was a twin sister, but I don't know if it was identical twin sister. Her family life was pretty turbulent. She says that as a child, there were several family members who sexually abused her. Examining psychiatrists are kind of differed as to whether they think that was true or not. Oh, I see. But the family was pretty dysfunctional, though, for sure. Yeah. And she had a tendency to be a bully in school. She was known to be a bully. She had, like, severely injured at least one boy with, like, a weapon. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. She ends up dropping out of school at age 15. She kind of follows in her father's footsteps and starts working at the Aberdeen Abattoir, which is a slaughterhouse. Oh. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) She started off by, like, cleaning blood and animal carcasses, like, cleaning the floor and stuff and, like, hosing down (laughs) the carcasses. And Yeah, I know. I know. But eventually she, like, worked her way up to the um, position of slicer, which is, like, basically, like, being the butcher, doing all the, you know, cutting of the carcasses. Yeah, yeah. I guess, yeah, you know, you don't have to, like, wash the blood off and hang them up. Like, somebody somebody will do that for you, and then... Step up. You got people to do some dirty work for you. Now you get to slice and dice. Yeah. She grew to be obsessed with knives and slicing things. (laughs) The knives she used for her work were, like, her pride and joy, and she kept them in, like, pristine condition. And wherever she lived, she would actually hang her knives, like, over her bed. Really? Like, had them, like, attached to the wall over her bed because she said you never know when you might need one. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's better to uh, have a knife and not need it than need a knife and not have it. Right. Especially when you're Australia where you can't have any fucking guns. Yeah, really. Anyways, um... When I first started looking in this check, I was like, I swear there's been, like, a Deadly Women on this one. So I had to, like, search for it because I love Deadly Women. I love Candace DeLong. 
She was a behavioral profiler with the FBI, so she's always like offering her insight into whoever's being featured on the show. Oh, I see. Yeah. So she's like... Yeah, Candace DeLong is the kind of person that's like, God, I wish I could be like that lady. Like, she's just totally like so put together and she's a psychologist and worked for the FBI and just, I think she's written some books and yeah, just totally like put together in a way that... DeLong? <laughs> is she Tom DeLong's mom? I don't know. But... uh She's just put together in a way that I will never, ever be. You never know. Maybe you will be someday. I am so clearly not a person who is going to be like that one day. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm far enough into my life to know that that is not going to be me. Uh, But that's okay. Anyways, I did find the um, Deadly Women episode that featured her. So I had to give that a whirl and... Candace DeLong diagnosed her as having um, borderline personality disorder as well as uh, a disorder called pickerism. 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 And that is a sexual interest in penetrating the skin of another person with sharp objects. Oh. Mm-hmm. So that's... Yeah. That's something. That's a thing. <laughs> that's a thing that exists. She had a very volatile temper, and she often used violence to settle a score, and she was the type that would just hold a grudge forever until she felt like things had been settled, like she had gotten revenge. Until she got a knife on you? Yeah, basically. But as one reporter stated, she also knew how to keep a bloke happy. Oh. Mm-hmm. In addition to being extremely violent and vengeful, she also knew how to please a man. And to keep him happy, like making dinner, letting him drink. I don't know. I guess not being a super high-maintenance girlfriend type. I guess maybe just being, like, sexually open. Mm-hmm. Probably. Probably. She did get extremely jealous, though. She was one of those types where, if you know, you were late, you were out cheating and always warning her partners as to what would happen if they cheated on her. Oh, good. When she was 18, she married her first husband, David Kellett, and David stated that he was given some advice by Catherine's mother, Barbara, when they got married, and it was, quote, you better watch this one or she'll fucking kill you. Stir her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're fucked. She'll fucking kill you. Wow. Yeah. Coming from her own mother. So her mother (laughs) knew she was trouble, too. (laughs) I guess so. Something else. Yeah. So from the beginning, the marriage was riddled with arguments and violence. She choked David until he nearly lost consciousness on their wedding night. Wow. Yeah. Apparently because they'd only like fucked like three different times and then he like wanted to go to sleep or something. And she so. was like, nope. Did you go to sleep when I'm done with you? Later in their relationship, she burned all of his clothes in the bathtub and then hit him on the back of the head with a frying pan, fracturing his skull. And that was for coming home late from a darts competition. Wow. Mm-hmm. Didn't take much to set her off. No, it did not. What was it, like all booze and fists all the time? I guess, basically, except that she did most of the fisting. <laughs> <laughs> he did the boozing, she did the fisting? Yeah, it seems that way. In 1976, Catherine gave birth to their first child, Melissa Ann. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now I had a baby into the picture. Wonderful. That's that's exactly what this shit show needed. 
So shortly after, Kellett left her for another woman and moved to Queensland, probably because he was just sick of all the bullshit and abuse that yeah, he was suffering. sick of suffering. having this woman beat the shit out of him with frying pans and whatever the fuck else. Yeah. Sick of her insanity. She's a whack job. Mm-hmm. So the next day, Catherine is seen bushing the baby in the stroller. And she's going down the main street, and she is swinging the stroller from, like, side to side and smashing it into, like, the fence along the Wow. Road. Yeah, with a fucking newborn in it. Jesus Christ. She gets arrested and admitted to St. Elmo's Hospital, and they diagnose her with postpartum depression. Oh, okay. And she's there for a few weeks, recovering, allegedly. Quote, unquote. Quote, unquote, yeah. Because after being released... She put the baby, who was two months old at that time, she set her down on some railroad tracks where she knew that there, you know, trains passed through. Wow. Yeah. So put the baby on some fucking railroad tracks and walked off and then uh, got an axe, apparently, and went into town and started threatening people left and right with the axe. What the fuck? And then meanwhile, luckily for- With the baby still on, she just yeah, left the baby Yeah, with the baby still, tracks. like, on the fucking train tracks. Now, luckily for the baby, a resident happens to spot her there and get her. And according to him, the train came just like a few minutes later. Wow. Mm-hmm. They took the baby from her, I hope. No, she was again arrested, taken to St. Elmo's Hospital, and they considered her better. The and next she, day? The next day, she signed herself out. They, she signed herself out? She signed herself out the next day. The next day? Mm-hmm. They were just like... Like, oh, okay, you slept it off, I guess. You're fine so, now. You're okay now. Wow. So it was kind of like, and um... And we thought, like, mental health was a joke now. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> well, they have that great universal health care in Australia. I wonder if they did in the 70s. I don't know, but, you know, people are always I trying don't think to, any place People had... are always trying to make it sound like it's such a great thing, but I think... I don't think it matters as far as mental health is concerned. I think that mental health worldwide is pretty much not taken as seriously as it should be. Oh, no, I'm definitely saying it's it's not taken as seriously as it should be. I'm just saying that when you're in countries where there's like have and have nots, not that that's better, but some people can get better mental health. Yeah, some people can. Some people can. Yeah. I had a friend. As opposed to where it's like, you know, universally probably shitty like everywhere if you're... Yeah, I mean, I had Going a friend way, who was, I, don't know. I had a friend who was in a really bad, a, a really bad way, and they were on. I mean, they they needed help, and they could not find it. There was no one accepting, like no psychiatrists accepting patients. Mm-hmm. Just like oh, you know, too full, and for for a long time, it took weeks to find anybody to see the person. It was ridiculous. There is a, actually a huge shortage of mental health providers as far as people, you know, the ratio of people like needing mental health services and the number of providers out there. It's ridiculous. So, yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. I actually know of a couple of places now that have actually just as a business started like matching people up with insurance and providers for them oh okay yeah because it's just so difficult for somebody to find a mental health provider and then have to vet them as far as like what insurance they take if they take insurance it's crazy so yeah man but i don't know no matter how bad it is it's like what the fuck australia (laughs) this woman like basically tried to kill her baby and you let her out the next day? Threaten people with it an was axe? All, I mean, yeah, that's fucked up. But I mean, really, do we? Do, does America have any place to talk? 
<laughs> I feel like America would be a little bit more in the seventies. In the se- even you in got, the seventies, I don't time... think you just get taken to the hospital for that. You're going to get thrown in jail for doing that. They're not just going to oh, be like, right? Maybe, yeah. Maybe they're not, not just going to be like, oh, well. If you're in, I mean, I don't know how. Maybe big... you should go to the hospital instead of jail. I don't. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. Well. She signed herself out the following day, and a few days later, she convinced her neighbor and her 16-year-old daughter to give her a ride, saying that the baby needed medical attention right away. Mm. And once they were inside the vehicle, she pulled a knife on this lady and slashed her face, like, right below the eye. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then she demanded that this woman drive her up to Queensland so she can find her husband. Oh, my God. Wow. So first she has her pull over at a service station where then this lady and her daughter break free of her. She notifies the police, but by the time the police come to the service station that she was at, she'd already taken like another boy like hostage. She oh, great. had a, a little boy at knife point. <laughs> Fuck. The police came in armed with brooms. I am not making this up. Why brooms? Why brooms? I don't know, because I guess they decided that that was the best way to deal with her. They disarmed her, like, you know, by jabbing at her with brooms. Fuck. So, yeah, eventually they were able to, you know, disarm her and um, get her arrested using broomery. I just Maybe <laughs> I can't imagine must... what was being shown. It's like, you know, get well, out of here. Remember... Come on. <laughs> well, do you remember it was when we were still in school, there was that man in Seattle that was brandishing the samurai sword? Yeah. And the the cops weren't the ones that took care of him. It was the firefighters. And they used, they had to hold him against a wall with a fire ladder and then pump him with water until he finally dropped the sword. Hmm. So the, they probably grabbed the brims because they didn't want to shoot the lady. Right. They just, they wanted to disarm her. I mean, I'm sure they recognized at this point that there was something going on in her brain. And she, you know, maybe wasn't in full control of what was going on around her. Maybe that's just how they do it in Australia. They so, take care of everything with a broom, you know. I feel like you got a probably, crocodile in your house, you know, you, you pull out the broom. Fucking. They <laughs> save the guns for the actual dangerous things because things like insane women and crocodiles in Australia aren't even the worst right, of what you got. Right. Ugh. So many things in Australia to kill you. God damn. Mm-hmm. So, so they disarm her with brooms. So, yes, they, they finally broom her into submission. And she, again, is admitted, admitted to a hospital. This time it's a psychiatric hospital. Okay, that's good. Just Step like up. the regular hospital Step because uh, clearly they were no fucking help. Catherine told one of the nurses there that she had wanted to kill the mechanic at that service station because he had repaired her husband's car which had allowed him to leave her for another woman and that she planned to go to queensland and kill both her husband and his mother when she got there (laughs) so the police tell her husband about this and he actually i guess maybe out of concern like he leaves his girlfriend and goes back to her okay so he's like I, I guess maybe he just don't want anyone else to suffer. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, she had like, you know, tried to kill the baby and had threatened other people and all this stuff. So they he gets back together with her. They have another daughter, Natasha Marie. And finally, after like 10 years, the oh, marriage ends. So the, he gets back with her and they have another child. They have another child. Yes. 
after he gets back with her. Wow. But the marriage ends and he basically lived a lot of his life after that, kind of like hiding out and in fear of her. Yeah. One mm-hmm. one sleeping with one eye open, always looking over his shoulder. Yeah. So that was the end of that relationship. Fucking Christ. Now nineteen eighty six, she met a minor whose name is David Saunders. And like in her previous relationships, um, the guy soon began to like know the ugly side of Catherine Knight. It didn't take long. Mm-mm. In fact, May of 1987, she cut the throat of his two-month-old dingo puppy. What the fuck? Yeah, in front of him to basically show him what would happen if he ever cheated on her. Wow, that is, I mean, what the fuck? Yeah. A puppy? She then uh, knocked him unconscious with a frying pan. Again, again with the frying pan. Yeah, it's her one-two punch. Yeah, she's like a fucking cartoon character. In June 1988, she gave birth to a do- another daughter named Sarah. And not long after that, she got in an argument with him where she hit him in the face with an iron and stabbed him in the stomach with a pair of scissors. So as once this happened, he moved away and basically went into hiding. Yeah. She was trying to find him, but uh, nobody would tell her where he was probably because they knew that she was a fucking psychopath exactly yeah (laughs) so i guess several months later he tried to come back so he could visit his daughter only to find out that she had gone to the police while he was gone and said that like like she was afraid of him and had gotten like a restraining order placed against him of course yeah so i mean she was abusive and she was vengeful as fuck yeah yeah terrifying so she has her last child, uh, her fourth child, by a guy named John Chillingworth. And that was a baby boy that was named Eric. She was only with Chillingworth for about three years before she started seriously dating this guy that she was having an affair with, a guy she had met in a pub and his oh. name. <laughs> so he, so she left him. She left this guy. So Chillingsworth is... Yeah, Chillingworth is like the only guy that could maybe yeah. have gotten away kind of unscathed. Wow. Because she decided that she didn't want to be with him and left him. Uh, and she started having an affair and then an open relationship with this guy, John Price. She moved into his, his house in 1995. And things got ugly, as they always do with this fucking psycho. Yeah. She wanted to make things official and get married, but John did not. So in retaliation, she videotaped items from his shed, which included some old medical kits that he had scavenged from the company trash. He was like a miner. Oh, yeah. It was, they had a first aid kits, obviously, on hand. Totally. So, yeah, they were some, like, expired first aid kits that he had basically just taken home instead of tossing. Exactly. But he still got fired from his job that he'd had for, like, 17 years. Wow. Because of it. Yeah, she sent the videotape to his boss who fired him. That's something else. Yeah, you don't fuck with somebody's job, you know? I mean, when you have a relationship, like, no matter how bad it gets, well, I mean, there's definitely, like, limits. But as far as just your basic, your relationship sucks stuff and breaking up 
shit. You just don't you don't sit there and try and find ways to get them fired from their job. Yeah, I mean that's like, like that's, destro- that's like destroying their their all of their life. Exactly. Like that's their livelihood, you're, that's everything. Like yeah. you lose your job, then that the next thing to go is like your house and your car and I mean, it's one thing to like blow up or talk stuff about him to other people. Yeah. In this day and age, maybe shit make post a, on Facebook know, or yeah, whatever. Make a stupid Facebook post um, here and there or something. But yeah, you don't go fucking with somebody's job and trying to get him fired. Like, that's just not cool. At that point, he kicked her out completely. Yeah. No shit. After she got him fired and said that, you know, he was totally done with her. Yeah. But it didn't last more than a few months, and he ended up going back to her because... He's an idiot. Oh, well, and I guess uh, also, you know, she, she, knows how to, she knows how to treat a bloke. Knows so. how, yeah, that's true. Knows how, to, knows how to treat a bloke. She obviously had something about her that... And she wasn't even, like, that pretty. If you look at pictures of her, she's, she's quite ordinary looking and just not someone you would think of as... Maybe she's just hitting up the lonely boys. I don't know. Just like guys who haven't, you know, just. And they just, you know, despite the fact that it's just totally fucked up, they just. They just can't quit her. I guess. I mean, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Well, love is strange. I guess the sure. 90s. We're, we're still at what? 95. So we haven't. 95. We don't have very reliable Internet porn yet. So <laughs> I think that may be a part of it. I don't know. It's hard to say what motivates somebody to to go back to something like that, but plenty of people do. Yeah, that's true. So, of course, things did not improve all that much when they reconciled. Shocking. Yeah, Shocking. shockingly. Um, she actually ended up stabbing him at one point, and not too long after that incident, he was really fed up. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently that crossed the line the, that all the other prior was, uh, um, incidents had not. Yeah. I, can, I can imagine how being stabbed would sort of push me over the edge. Mm-hmm. And he kicked her out of the house, and on February 29th, he went to the to the courthouse to get a restraining order out against her. Now, all this time, his two older children uh, had lived with them all together in the house. Yeah. So when his coworkers were telling him after he had filed the restraining order and that she was going to, like, find out about, they were all saying, like, you know, don't go back to that house because she'll probably fucking kill you. But he felt that he had to because his kids would be there and he was afraid that she would kill his children yeah. if he wasn't around. I'd say that's a pretty uh, pretty good fear. I'd be, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I'd fear that too. That bitch is crazy. So he told his coworkers that if he did not come to work the next day, it would be because Knight had murdered him, because Catherine Knight had murdered him. Yeah. So when he got home that evening, she was actually not there. But she had left a note or something to indicate that she had sent his kids away for a sleepover at a friend's house. Fuck that. So he spent the evening over with his neighbors before he came back to the house around 11 p.m. and went to bed. Now, following that, Catherine shows up at the house and, I guess, watched TV for a while and then had a shower. And then she woke him up in the night and they had sex. All right. And I'm guessing this is probably according to her statement because 
not long after uh, she stabs him to death. Oh. Yeah. After the sex, then she stabs him to death. And I'll fast forward just a minute to 6 a.m. the next day. And this is when a neighbor notices the car there, and also he hasn't shown up for work. Uh-oh. So a co-worker shows up. Neighbor also kind of, when once the co-worker shows up, neighbor also comes out and is like, yeah, this is weird that his car is here. And apparently they um, try knocking on his bedroom window, try knocking at the door. And after not receiving any response, they call police to the house, who arrive around 8 a.m. So the police break down the back door, and they find his body. Huh. And Catherine is in the house, but she is, like, pretty much comatose. She took a bunch of pills and painkillers. Oh, so she was trying to commit suicide? Yeah, that's the, that's the thought, is that she was trying to commit suicide. So she had stabbed Price with a butcher's knife while he was sleeping. What a way to wake up. Yeah. So, yeah, he did wake up. Um. He tried to turn on the light and then tried to get out of the house with her chasing him down the hallway, stabbing him repeatedly. God. He had even made it to the entryway of the door because that was one of the reasons the police broke down the door was that there was some blood evidence kind of around the entryway of the door. It was shut, but oh, yeah, like, probably yeah, on yeah. the door frame there probably was like, like blood. Sc- scrambling against the frame trying to get the fuck right, out. Right, and that like they think that she had like dragged him back into the house. Wow. Yeah, like he got to the doorway and almost dragged himself out, but before being dragged back in by her. Oh, so he did get out. He almost got out. Almost like he kind of like like the door was open and he like was able to like grab the outside and I try and see. pull himself I out see. before getting dragged back fuck in. Fuck that. Oh man. Yeah, and he finally like bled out from the 37 stab wounds wow. that she inflicted upon him. Damn. So after he died, apparently she went into Aberdeen and withdrew $1,000 from his ATM account. <laughs> Not sure why. But then went back into the house. Now, at this point, she skins his entire body, including his face and scalp. She left only one inch of skin on his body, which is where he had the scar from when she had stabbed him previously. God. Yeah. Real nice. Yeah. That had to be left as a trophy. Of course. She then hung his skin in the doorway of the house, in the entryway of the house. I think she had like a meat hook, like not too far into the house, and she hung his skin there. So can you imagine being the police, and you open that up, and that's probably the first thing they saw upon opening the door. How fucked up. That's awful. Is someone's fucking human skin just hanging there. She had done it, like, so well that at the autopsy, the coroner was able to, like, just slide it all back onto his body. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, she was a professional. Yeah. But is that... That is just, like, the creepiest. That's... Yeah. You could just, like, put the whole thing on there. Right back on there as if it had never left. Man. So after skinning him, she decapitated him, and his head was found in a pot of water, cooking with some vegetables <laughs> on the stove. What the fuck? Yeah. She had also, like, butchered the rest of his body and cooked up some of his other parts, 
and the police found two plates at the dinner table. And each plate had a card in front of it, and on each card was written the names of his two children. So she was going to feed him to the kids. Yeah, she was going to serve him up to his children. You know, God, she had cooked a... it up and then added, oh, all sorts of veggies. Let's see, she had some zucchini, some squash, little cabbage, little baked potato, and some gravy. That's little little veg and and human. Yeah, meat and vegetables. Meat. Long pig and vegetables. And the police found evidence that there was like a third plate that she had thrown out in the yard that maybe she had eaten some of it, but couldn't quite finish her. Couldn't quite do it. Yeah. Couldn't quite finish her, her yummy meal that she'd made. God damn. Mm-hmm. So when they arrest her, she tried basically claiming amnesia. That she didn't, you know, Ugh. remember doing any of this. Oh my God. Yeah. But I'm sure. The fact that. All this had been done. They just the police weren't buying it. And neither were the psychiatrists. They felt that she took a great amount of pleasure in yeah what she had done with John Price. Fuck. Uh, and yeah, one of the policemen uh, that's given some testimony about what it was like. He says he's like never gotten over it. His name was Bob Wells. He was one of the um, first on the scene and just yeah. I'm sure. Just that it was just so scene. fucking horrific. Like the skinned, the the ah. Not not anything you ever ever expect to see mm-hmm. in li- in life as as a human. I oh mean, you just don't yeah, expect I mean to see just that. the blood everywhere, the the skin hanging, the full set of skin hanging, and then the the severed head in the boiling pot, the cooked meat with the potatoes and the veggies, and then on the, the plates, the knowledge and, that it was going to be served to the ch- if, uh, according to her plan, the kids were going to eat it. Yeah. Although I, I maybe they wouldn't have it had been sitting out there and cold and she was dead and they weren't home yet. Well, I mean, didn't just the fact that you're going to walk in and see the skin hanging there and all the blood and then just be like, oh, look, mom left some dinner. Our stepmom yeah. left us some. Right. Some dinner to enjoy. I'm just going to sit down and fucking eat it without this... questioning all the other like murder scene right. things going on. Yeah. The eighties slasher I mean, if, flick fucking if they background. Had found, if they had gone in and just found her like cleaning up with the names on the plate, you know, then I could see where yeah, like, yeah. yeah, that was definitely a thing that was probably gonna happen if um the police had not found it first. But No, she she had she left cl- it like that and yeah. then gone and taken the pills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe at some point it crossed her mind when she made the the plates up and put the name tags there, but then at some point she was just like, fuck it. Yeah, maybe maybe she did try to eat it and decided she couldn't do it and realized this is kind of fucked up. Maybe I <laughs> I'm not going to get away with this. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows what goes through the mind of yeah, really. a person like that. Yeah, yeah. So she's sentenced to to life in prison with which is extremely rare in Australia. She was the first woman to have been given a life imprisonment sentence, as in no possibility of parole. And that was in the 2000s, right? Yeah. So that wasn't that long ago. Mm-mm. Wow. Yeah, I think 2001 is when she was actually convicted. Uh, and currently, now that as of 2019, one of only four women who have 
the note on all their paperwork and stuff, it says never to be released. Wow. Yeah. Because Australia is pretty lax when it comes to prison sentences. Yeah. And, and it's a lot. You see that like Norway, like Great Britain. And let people out after like, I think the most, the longest you can put someone away in, no, in Norway is like 17 or 18 years. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And it, when I watched a lot of true crime and stuff involving like anywhere in like the UK or Australia, it's always like, oh yeah, they're sentenced to murder and like 20 years in prison or 16 years in prison. And you're always just kind of like, what? Like <laughs> Right here is like 25 to life. Yeah, and there's a lot of life sentences imposed. And I wonder how, I wonder over there if there's very many repeat offenders. Well, I wonder if it's something to do with like maybe the lack of guns. Maybe they think lack of access to guns has maybe has a correlation with being able as easily to uh, yeah, maybe. reoffend. Maybe it's uh, maybe if they just keep you until you're like old enough to where you can't like stab people as easily. Then <laughs> it would be an interesting statistic to to have to see how many like what the percentage of re- repeat offenders is yeah. in like Australia, UK and America and see mm-hmm. cuz I know there's a lot of repeat offenders in America. Right. And so I don't I don't know if it's just because of how it is socially and economically here. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's not and since there's less people in Australia, maybe it's easier to rehabilitate. Right. I don't know. I don't know. It'd be an interesting statistic to it have. It is. Though. It is interesting to me. Fun fact here. Catherine is called Nana by the other inmates. Aww. Apparently, she's quite the sweet lady <laughs> behind bars. Just don't get on her bad side or she um, will cook you up. Well, she's known for her mediation skills, settling disputes with other prisoners. Interesting. Yes. And she also directs uh, several of the social events that are like held at the prison there for the other inmates. So, Weird. Yeah. She just needed that discipline. I guess so. Or just to be away from men. Or, maybe, maybe. I don't know what the hell that was all about. But yeah, odd. Very odd. N- now sh- now she's Nana. Never Nana. to be le- never to be released Nana. Nana. Prison Nana. To close off this episode, we will talk about a UFO story that I just picked up. It was not a listener suggestion, but interesting nevertheless. All right. So back to UFOs. Back to UFOs. Which is, Aliens is a, and cannibals. This you is know? A, a cannibal sandwich. We've got <laughs> well, UFOs guess, as the bread and the cannibal as the, as the meat. Yeah, I guess it's more like yeah, UFOs and cannibals since they, we haven't yet discussed any actual no, aliens. No aliens. No aliens. Uh, This particular incident occurred on November 10th, 2004. The USS Princeton, a cruiser equipped with an AN-SPY-1B passive radar system, detects 8 to 10 objects that show up very clearly, traveling south in a loose but definite formation at an altitude of 28,000 feet, it's 8.5 kilometers, right near Catalina Island, California, which is off the coast of LA. Mm -hmm. Strangely, They were moving at 100 knots. This is strange because this is the speed that a Cessna normally flies at and is not even fast enough to get a jet off the ground. Mount Everest is 29,000 feet tall. That's really high above sea level, and Mm -hmm. humans can't operate things non-pressurized at that altitude. If I understand correctly, the AN-SPY-1B passive radar system is a highly advanced radar system that is constantly sending signals 360 degrees from its point of origin, in this case around the USS Princeton. So uh, it just kind of radiates outward in a circle, 360 it, degrees. Exactly. So signal. above, below, and off to the sides. Okay. 
For the following six days, they continued to detect these things on and off. The Princeton sent the coordinates of these things to an E-2C Hawkeye plane. It was also able to detect the objects. Not as clearly, but it was still able to see they were there. So that's some corroborating evidence. On November 14th, four days after the Princeton first saw the radar blips, at about 9.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, an operations officer aboard the Princeton contacted two planes in the air that had come from the nearby USS Nimitz, a supercarrier. A supercarrier is like an aircraft carrier, but on all of the steroids. It's a big, it's, they're one of the most, I think they are like the most superior naval thing we have right now. So it can, it's a big aircraft carrier that can hold like a lot. And I think it's like nuclear powered and shit too. It's a big badass thing. Wow. They ordered these planes to check out the radar blip. There was an upcoming air defense exercise, and they wanted to be sure that these things that were they'd seen on radar weren't going to interfere with that. Each of these planes had a pilot and a gunner, but the planes did not have operational weapons. The jets arrived at the location and saw nothing with their eyes, and there was nothing on radar. The Princeton, however, saw on her radar that the object dropped from 28,000 feet to sea level in under a second. It takes the average human... 157 seconds to fall from 30,000 feet. That's 9.1 kilometers. So this... 157 seconds. So that's like... Almost two minutes. No, that's... Almost three minutes. Almost three minutes. That's crazy. Right? Oh, I think about airplane crashes. And this thing traveled that amount of distance faster than someone could fall. taking Taking over two minutes... Almost three minutes to fall to Earth. Yeah, you got a lot of time to think about stuff. Oh, Jesus. That's unfortunate. That is really unfortunate. Once the pilots received the information that, you know, that the object had dropped, they looked down, and in the ocean they saw a Boeing 747-sized oval of choppy water. At the center of this oval, the water was less choppy, so it looked like something was coming up out of the the ocean, and there was just a, a part of it that was higher than the rest. Only seconds later, they witnessed a tic-tac-shaped object hovering about 50 feet, 15 meters, above the choppy water. It was white and moving erratically, and they estimated it to be 30 to 46 feet long. It's 10 to 14 meters. Well, one of the jets began descending down towards the hovering object. You know, your classic spiraling downwards sort of thing where they're just flying in a, like a corkscrew shape going down. Mm-hmm. As this happened, the tic-tac started doing the opposite. So it was going up in a corkscrew shape, but it was maintaining the same distance away from the jet. And still under the water? No, the, the tic-tac okay. thing was hovering above the choppy water. Okay. At this point, they don't mention what uh, anything about the choppy water anymore. Now, at this point, they're focused it's on the just, tic-tac. It's just like a tic-tac-shaped object. Exactly. Well, the pilot decides to get, you know, he tries some more aggressive aerial maneuvers. It's trying to get beneath the object which then accelerates out of visual range in about two seconds. So no, no longer can the pilots visually see this thing, and it, take, it took it two seconds to get away. Crazy. That's, was he trying to get, like, inverted with it, like Top Gun style? I think he was just trying to get <laughs> beneath it. I don't think they were going to do any jaw snapping or volleyball playing with it. The two pilots plotted the course to the rendezvous point. It was a place they were going to rendezvous anyway. When the Princeton radioed them and said that the radar blip was now at the rendezvous point. Oh. This was 60 miles away, 97 kilometers. 
This tic-tac-shaped object would have had to travel around 2,400 miles per hour, 3,900 kilometers per hour, to make the distance in the few seconds it took. That's crazy. And that it it went to that place, too. Yeah. Like, did it read their coordinates? Heard their radio? Who knows? Ugh. Well, it took the jets significantly longer to get there, and by the time they got there, it was gone. Both the jets returned to the supercarrier USS Nimitz, and a little while later, around noon that day, two other jets were sent out, this time with an advanced infrared camera system. The footage they recorded of a flying object easily evading them was released by the Pentagon in December of 2017. This video was released at the same time the government told us that they had been looking into UFOs the whole time under the title Advanced Aerosmith Threat Identification Program. That is the thing where it was secret but not classified. Right, okay. And it's like just, a, like, I guess we just never knew about it or whatever. The video, this video is a really easy internet search away. Basically, it just shows a black and white view of an oblong smudge in one of the plane's cockpit displays. Mm-hmm. You know, the one where it's got all like the heads up display, it's got all the information around yeah. the square monitor, the circle in the middle, and it is just this oblong, it looks like a, like a pill, like a, like a long, like a Tic Tac style pill, mm-hmm. or I guess it's just a Tic Tac, but it's a black smudge. Crazy. Crazy. Um, of course, there's those who don't believe that it's anything besides either a secret military vehicle, equipment malfunction, or something staged. I think it's definitely something. It's definitely something. No one, no one is, uh... Well, if they're saying it's staged, then... It's still something. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it was released along with the information that we've been looking into these UFOs for a long time. And mm-hmm. I mean, UFO now means aliens. Right. But if you but take it at what it actually unidentified is, it's just something object. you don't know what it is. Yeah. Very interesting. That is that's from the, That's the Navy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It was something pretty advanced. Whatever it was, it was moving fast. Or it was, I guess it could have been an equipment malfunction, but somehow I believe on one of the most state-of-the-art boats on the planet, they've, right. uh, they've got their, I mean, I guess that was the USS Nimitz. That's one of the most state-of-the-art ones. But the other one, the Princeton's nothing, no slouch either. So, I mean, any, I, regardless, I don't think that they just have wonky shit. What do you think is scarier? Like, the fact that aliens possess that kind of technology or other countries other countries or any countries well yeah just any country any countries yes that would be scary as fuck Mm -hmm. no ours would be it would be scary if we had it well i'm scared of all governments not just (laughs) not just foreign ones our government is very bad too our government is very bad but i would still um be more afraid if it was some other place that had it it depends on the other place that might not like our bad government so much depends on the other place depends entirely on the other place but it's not great but, if we okay, have it either but for okay some other place or aliens i'd rather be aliens yeah that's what i'm asking yeah yeah oh i understand what you're saying yeah. yeah whether i would want it to be human technology or alien definitely alien technology Definitely, I don't want that to be a technology that any of our aggressive-ass humans right. have. I don't want us to get our hands on it. Yeah, that, that sounds that, awful. That's the question I'm asking right now. No, there. yeah, fuck like, that. Yeah, mm-hmm. That sounds like a I think I, I think I would I agree with you because hopefully at least aliens, maybe maybe this alien species is a little bit more reasonable than than humans. I'm imagining that... 
because we're still basically like garbage as far as yeah that. i would imagine that if if there's aliens if there's actually aliens out there that have come to earth and are trying to take control of earth they wouldn't do it clandestinely yeah. they would just take us because they could because it would be like the united states government attacking like a single native american tribe from the past mm -hmm. from the 1400s it would not be a battle it would be it would be a slaughter. It would be an instant occupation. Right. And that's what I think it would be if they wanted to. So hopefully they don't. And then hopefully like um, our fellow garbagey humans don't actually possess technology to do stuff like that. Man. Exactly. <laughs> At this time, because we cannot handle that kind of power. Yeah, that's this is why we can't have nice things. Yeah, exactly. Because we suck still as a whole the truth well that's about all i have for this time what about you joanna that's all i got okay well then uh, be sure to check us out on facebook we have a page and a group the group is called the strange space come join us we have a patreon page patreon.com slash stranger than podcast five bucks a month will get you a bonus episode a month there's some other things you get as well but that's 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 the cool one yeah that that's our big selling point on it on Spotify, we're Stranger Than Podcast. Just do a search, you'll find us. On Instagram, Stranger Than Podcast. And at Twitter, if you wish to follow us, we will ignore you. That is at underscore Stranger Than Podcast. If you would like any merch, our T Public is tpublic.com slash user slash Stranger Than Podcast. T shirts, mugs, all kinds of crazy shit. Laptop Tapestries, covers, pillows. There's something for everyone. And last but not least, if you want to tell us of any sort of UFO incident you've had, paranormal inc incident you've had, a ghost story, if you have an idea f that you want us to do an episode on, anything like that, email us, strangerthanpodcast at gmail.com. And we will do it. <laughs> we will, as, as, you are, as you know from listening to this episode and a few of the past episodes. Check us out on iTunes, comment, follow us, subscribe. And we will talk to you next time. And stay strange. <laughs>